morning. It is a great honor and a privilege to be here this morning. I've been looking forward to uh, this opportunity for a while now, for since I got the call and an invitation to preach, and so thankful for this opportunity. And I've um, been looking forward to this opportunity because I don't think there's another group in the world that has more potential to change the world than this group of young people and uh, the potential here and the heart and the training that you're getting. So I really have been looking forward to this because of, for so many different reasons. But one of the reasons I've been looking forward to this is just to express publicly a thank you to Pastor Van Gelderen. Um, I trained, was here for five years undergrad and then did seminary. And I'm just so thankful for what he, God has used him to start here and to train young people to uh, strengthen their faith, um, to live uh, righteously and live for God and to be passionate about truth and souls. And um, there's just, I can't say enough thank yous to you and for the encouragement he's been to me and just the, just the example to follow. And so um, what an honor and privilege to be here this morning. Um, see a lot of new faces, familiar, uh, some familiar faces, a lot of new faces. And I'm sure some of you are looking at me wondering who I am and hard to believe that I actually sat here for so many years. And um, right in those same uh, seats, and it's just a. Actually, I was here when we met in Fellowship Hall B. We first were there for a while, and then we moved into here my sophomore year. So, uh, but anyways, I've been right where you're at, and um, know what it feels like to start the nine-week block, and just hang in there. You'll get through it. I'm sure you're just get, now getting all the class loads and what you're going to be doing for the whole uh, nine-week block. And I remember being there. It can uh, be a heavy load right at first, but uh, just uh, look to the Lord and. Keep your eyes on him. So um, I think in a couple weeks, my brother, my twin brother, some of you probably didn't know I had a twin brother, but I think he's scheduled to preach here in a couple weeks. And I'll just give you a little heads up. Some of you are probably thinking, okay, they're twins, hard to uh, tell who's who and stuff. So it's really simple. I'm just a better looking one. So you'll see that in a couple weeks when he's, he's standing here. You'll be like, okay, yeah, that's pretty obvious. So he might be the better preacher, but um, definitely better looking. No. Uh, Anyways, so anyways, take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I've had, as an evangelist, you get burdens. And um, I've had burdens for a number of years for students like you. Um, friends of mine, um, some that didn't come here, some that did come here, went to school with, who went out in the ministry and... Things change, and things in their life change, and you know you see them starting to take a different path. And I see, look back at their lives, and I see different things. Maybe in college, things that they were involved in, or attitudes they had, and can a lot of times trace things back to a path that someone chose to take. And so I've had a number of burdens. If I got an opportunity to preach to these students, this is what I'd say. And I feel like the Lord has given me a message that it contains a few of those burdens. And I trust that you'll take them to heart and uh, really uh, take them to heart so that you can avoid maybe some of the mistakes others have made in the past. In Roman days, people didn't have a switch to turn on the lights in their homes or gas to light their stove or something to start their fire with. They had a central plaza in every village where fire was kept burning. If you wanted to light the lamps or the stove in your home, you went to the fire in the central plaza took a brand of fire from it, and took it home. The village considered the fire so important that they hired a full-time firekeeper just to keep the fire burning. If the firekeeper allowed the fire to go out for any reason, if a rainstorm came along and drenched it, 
or the wind blew it out, or the firekeeper fell asleep and somehow the fire died out, it cost him his life. It was considered vitally important to the life of the community. That, why the, that is why the fire was always kept burning. You know, as important as it was back in those days for the village to stay burning, or the, the central plaza to have that fire to continue to keep burning, there is a much greater fire that needs to be attended to. It's the fire of God on the altar of our hearts. Of course, at salvation, the Holy Spirit moves in. He seals the believer. Uh, what a wonderful thing. And throughout the scripture, we see the Holy Spirit referred to, in a figurative sense, as uh, fire. You know, we see that in the Old Testament uh, tabernacle. The fire that was never to go out was a representation of the Holy Spirit and his, his power and the need for him to illuminate there. And we have on the day of Pentecost, cloven tongues of fire that came down on those people, representing now the Holy Spirit was indwelling these people. And so we have this figurative illustration of a fire often referring to the Holy Spirit. And of course, every believer has the Holy Spirit in his life. But that spirit can be quenched. The work of God can be quenched and hindered in a believer's life. And friends, that's the fire I'm talking about this morning. The fire in your heart for the work of God, for your own walk with God. Very few recognize the significance of maintaining the fire in our hearts. If death was the consequence for letting the physical fire out, what should be the consequence of Christians who let the spiritual fire go out in their own heart and leave a world in darkness to suffer eternally because we failed to keep the fire going? Friends, we have a great responsibility today. To keep the fire going in our soul. Today I would like to look at the fire quenchers that are putting out the fire of God in the hearts of God's people. And may today God's people, young people, see the seriousness of keeping this fire going. Even through college life. Keeping this fire going in your own hearts and not letting anything quench it. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for these young people. They're here because they have a heart for the Lord, and they want to serve you with their lives, I trust. Now, Lord, the devil has all sorts of tactics and ways that he puts out the fire in our lives. I pray that you would show us this morning these truths and reveal them to our hearts, Lord, areas that we need to take note of, areas that we need to change, areas where we need to let the Spirit of God back in control. So I pray that you'd work in a special way in these hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 are very familiar passages, I trust, to all of us. And here you have seven churches that were actual literal churches in Asia Minor during this time when John wrote this. And these churches, you know, if you've studied this at all, there's just phenomenal truth in this. And I believe that all throughout history you can find these churches uh, anywhere. And I think right now, largely in part, you know, American Christianity is represented by Laodicean. But you'll find churches like Philadelphia and Smyrna all around this world. I don't think you can limit this age to necessarily to one uh, thing. But you'll find these churches all throughout history at all different points and times. And even today, you know, you go to China, you're going to find, I think in many cases, the Smyrna church who was persecuted for their faith. And so these, these uh, messages that Jesus really was giving to the angel and to, the, to this, these churches are for us today. It says over and over, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And that is, gives the idea, this is for us today. 
We can learn from these passages and the, the condemnation and the commendation that was given to these tr- churches. We can learn from these in our own personal lives. And one of the things I'm burdened for, not just is your personal life, because we can learn so many things from these churches for your own personal life. You know, losing your love. We'll look for, at these different things. But I'm also burdened in a greater way for the ministries someday that you guys represent. These were given to individual churches, very real things that were going on in these churches. And I trust that many young men in here one day will be pastors and leading ministries. And we'll have young ladies who are married to pastors and involved in ministry. And these truths can be applied to that. As well, not just your own personal life. And I trust some of these things that I'm going to point out, these fire quenchers, will not only uh, hit you where per, on a personal level, but that'll warn you and caution you someday when I'm leading a ministry. These different things I have to be wary of. Because the devil, these are the tactics he used to get churches off, to get individuals off. And so I want to look this morning at fire quenchers, things that quench the fire of God in a church or in an individual level. First of all, and I must say, there's no way in the world we're going to be able to read through each passage and discuss in detail. So really what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit right to the chase, hit to the point where I see in these churches is what is the fire quencher in these churches. And I have five of them because there's two churches, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia, where there was no condemnation given. They were wonderful churches that were, I would call these churches, you could learn from them, fire stokers. And persecution is a fire stoker that encourages people and purifies God's work. But five fire quenchers. First of all, we see this in the church at Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. I'm going to read verse verse 2. Starting verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast fallen the liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Wow! We would all look at Ephesus and say, that's a great church. But you know, to the one who can see all things, he said there's still some problems. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. I think it's significant. He says, thou hast left thy first love. It wasn't just something they lost. They left it. They got so wrapped up in ministry and their labor and trying to, uh, those people who said they were apostles and, you know, doing all sorts of great things for the Lord. And he wasn't, he wasn't um, condemning for them for all the good things they were doing. But he was saying, in the midst of all those great works that you're doing, you're losing your love. And I believe this is a fire quencher. That happens in churches. That happens in pastors' lives, in men, people in ministry, in college students. They lose their love for God. Something wedges its way between their labor for God and their love for God. And when those two things are separated, when you lose your love for God or when your labor for God isn't motivated by your love for God, friends, you're asking for trouble. And you might be in the middle of doing all sorts of great things. You might be in seminary studying doctrine and um, figuring out all sorts of important things and how to defend the faith and uh, stand for great things. But if you're doing that and you've lost your love, Jesus was saying, look out. That's the first step. When you lose your love, when you're, not doing, when you're doing something out of just mere duty, that is a fire quencher. 
It quenches the fire of God. This was a great notable church. But he says, you've lost your first love. Now, a lot can be said about first love. First love is the most passionate and affectionate. When a couple, you know, begins a relationship or gets married, you know, it's difficult to separate them. It's difficult for them, okay, you don't have to talk about her all the time. You know, some guys in the, wherever might say, look, you're always talking about your fiancé or your, you know, your wife, whatever. But you can stop talking about her. You know, that's the idea of first love. It's, it's the most passionate and the most affectionate. You know, um, Satan is trying to get a foothold into believers' life by getting them to lose their first love. You know, this first love doesn't just apply to marriage, but applies to our relationship with God and our uh, working for the Lord. And you know what? Um, first love often makes those who have lost their first love feel awkward or unashamed. You know, I'm sure we've all been in a situation where we see a newly married couple and we're like, okay, you know, maybe we see them take a kiss or whatever. And speaking of awkward, Joe Mueller. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember when he got married. But anyways, we all know that, that feeling. But it's, they're unashamed because they love each other and they want to be with each other. And you know, the same is true with someone who's been recently saved. Four years ago, I led a young man to the Lord on the UW-Whitewater campus. And he was a freshman. He was a college. He came there to play football, which is a, it's a great football school for Division Three. And he was there to play football. He grew up in Brookfield, Wisconsin, not far away. Came there to play football. His freshman year, uh, he got involved with some wrong friends. He started smoking marijuana. And after a football game, they did a random drug test. And he, they called his name up, and he was just shaking like crazy because he knew he, would, he was going to, you know, the test would come back and he'd be, you know, show he was on drugs. And so he was kicked off the team. Shortly after that, he stepped into our Bible study that we host there. And just a couple weeks later, I was able to lead him to the Lord. He was at the end of himself. He just thought life, you know, having to go to his parents who had worked so hard to get him in a good school, go to them and say, look, I was kicked off the team because of drugs. It was so embarrassing to him. He was at the bottom. And he came and he got saved. And so for three years, I was discipling him. And he, being on a university campus like that, you wouldn't just be so thankful for what you have here and the environment you are in. But he was just held back. And especially this last year, his senior year, he had roommates that he had grown up with. And um, they were just holding him back. And I could just see the battle. You know, he had come to church Sunday mornings, but you could just see him fighting the, something in his life. And shortly after he graduated, um, I'm telling you what, he just took off this last summer. It was just unbelievable. He started coming to every single service. He started getting involved in outreach. He started getting involved in just everything you can imagine. This Sunday, uh, he's going to be getting baptized, and we're just, I'm just so thrilled about it. But, and his whole family's going to be there. But this young man has a first love for the Lord. I mean, just recently, he got a job. Over the summer, he had a job. It was a, he had lined it up a semester before. He was a business major, and UW-Whitewater is a great business school. And so he had a great job coming up. One week after he started the job, he quit it because of the environment he was in. He had just heard a message about music, and he was going to be inundated with this music in this office, and he said, I just can't do this. His conscience was bothering me, and he quit the job. Then he got a job just a few weeks ago selling high-end meats. He's, he likes doing sales. 
And he goes from door to door selling meats. And when he got the job, he was beaming. And he said, Paul, this job is going to be so awesome. Every door I go to, if they don't answer, I stick a track in the door. And if they sell, they buy meat or whatever, and when I close the deal, when I'm leaving, I'm going to give them a track. And I'm like, well, Zach, I mean, you know, don't, what do you think your company's going to think of that? You know, if they hear about that, he's like, I don't really care. And it just kind of hit me. He's like, wow, here's someone who has a first love for Jesus Christ. He's at everything. He drives 40 minutes to church every single day, every single, not every day, but every time, opportunity, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He comes to our university ministries on Tuesday nights. Friday night, he's involved in a ministry at the church. And so he is just constantly, he is, it's so obvious he's doing this out of pure love for the Lord. And you know what? That love is easy to be lost, though. Satan is looking for any way he can to get in there and, and cause a Christian to lose their first love, to, for them to grow cold, to just do it out of mere duty. And friends, look out for losing your first love. You might be doing so many good things, but if you lose your first love, it won't be long before you lose the other things. Watch this fire quencher of the devil. There's some indicators of someone who's lost their first love. They've lost their passion for God. They might be doing good things, but the passion that comes from the heart. They've stopped sacrificing for God. Maybe they're doing what is expected of them, but they're not sacrificing. Oh, that's, I can't do that. That's too great of a cost. Whereas before, they just said, I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to be willing to do it. They forsake spiritual things like demons, forsaken, having loved this present world. And so, friends, look out for the first fire quencher, losing your love. The second thing I see is found in the church of Pergamos. You can see this in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. You can read it later, but notice what it says here. But I have, verse 14, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Here in this one church, there were two wrong doctrines being promoted. And there was a permissive attitude towards wrong doctrine. And this is what I see as the second fire quencher, permissiveness in doctrine, wrong doctrine. And really it comes down to a lack of separation. No, that's not biblical. That needs to get out of here. And so this permissiveness in wrong doctrine is, was prevalent here in Pergamos, and it's prevalent today. And friends, this is another tool that the devil is using to quench the fire in churches and in people's individual lives. They twist the truth of the scriptures. There's so many things we could mention here. But there are a number of doctrines that I see as being quenched. The doctrine of the church. It's being minimized to a social club these days. And you have Christians who think they're walking with God and they want to be, think they're walking with God and want to think they're spiritual, but church just becomes a social club. And it's all about having friends and you know, just getting together to do things, but it's not about a passionate advancement of the gospel. It's all about a social club. We have, I think, some wrong things on the Holy Spirit, the fake Holy Spirit. We live in an age of fake things, fake news, all sorts of fake things. And there's a fake Holy Spirit out there. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, the Holy Spirit led me, and it's something completely contrary to Scripture. The Holy Spirit leads us to do things that are in line with the Word of God. 
And so there is a great um, permissiveness in that today. The Bible is under attack. The authority of the scriptures, the gospel is under attack today. Baptist teaching is under attack. There's so many things that are being under attack today. And this permissive attitude, oh, it irks me up. I see these uh, pastors who are so-called Baptists. They're really new evangelicals. And they are trying to redefine what a Baptist is. And friends, we cannot be permissive towards that. That is a fire quencher. When it gets into a church, when we allow this wrong thinking or wrong doctrine into our church, it will kill a church. Doctrine does matter. In fact, wrong doctrine will hinder revival, just like right doctrine aids in revival. And you can see that in a study. Take Dr. Flanders' class, History of Revival, Baptist in Revival, and you will see that doctrine does matter. You have men like Shubal Stearns and Jacob Knapp who were Baptists and saw effective revivals. And uh, one truth you learn in that class with Dr. Flanders is that the extent of arrival often hinges on the purity of doctrine. And so what a key thing. In the Welsh Revival of 1904, it said there was a new doctrine. That they called it new theology. It was really modernism. But it was creeping into the churches. And it's been said that this new theology was bringing deadness to Wales and to many churches. But when the revival came, many were corrected in their doctrine. In the book, Rent Heavens, the author says, Errors in theology share the same fate of vicious habits when the Lord has rent the heavens and has come down. The revival of 1904 released many a minister and others from the grips of wrong doctrine and severely checked the advancement of various forms of religious heterodoxy and wrong doctrine. And so, friends, look out for this second fire quencher, permissiveness in doctrine. This attitude, okay, well, you could just believe that, but it's not biblical. You can't believe that. You can't be teaching that in this church. For you young men, someday you're pastoring. And the, the temptation is to be, well, I'm not going to fight over that. that well, that's, that's not that critical, not that important. Friends, don't allow this attitude of permissiveness and doctrine to quench the fire of God in your own soul and in the working of a church. Moving on. The third fire quencher I see is in the church at Thyatira. Turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses, you can see this in verses 18 and 19, or 18 through 29, sorry. But uh, notice verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And so here we have another uh, fire quencher. What is this fire quencher? I see the third fire quencher here is worldliness. Worldliness. In your own personal life or in a church setting, worldliness will absolutely chase away the Holy Spirit. When you allow the, the, the thinking of the world and the actions of this world into our lives, it will absolutely chase away the Holy Spirit. Now, my point in this past, as I'm preaching this message in the previous church, is not to expound on what the doctrine of Balaam is and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans or what this woman Jezebel was. There's debate over whether she was an actual woman in the church or whether it was more of a, a spirit that was being taught uh, that went back to the Old Testament story of Jezebel and Ahab and how she seduced the nation of Israel into false idol worship. But either way... She was causing a great deal of problem. Whoever, if it was an actual person, actual woman prophetess, she was causing incredible problems. 
She was teaching them that they could do things contrary to the Word of God, things that were practiced out there in other religions or in this world. And so toleration of worldliness, friends, we cannot allow that. We have to see that the purity of, this, of a church that you're involved in is more important to have God's blessing and have a pure church than to allow and tolerate worldliness into it. This is so prevalent today, so prevalent today. The aisles of our churches have become fashion runways. And people, and, and even comes down to so many people in the church, they just think, you know what? We can live the way we want. We can tolerate worldliness. We can watch the movies we want. We can do all sorts of things that the world does. Friends, it will quench the fire in your soul. And how much do you care about having God's fire in your life? Are you willing to go the extra mile and say, you know what? This thing just doesn't seem right in my life. I know maybe it's not even wrong, but it's got to go because I just sense that it's cutting at my relationship with God. And there are things that we're going to have to do and face in our life that we're going to have to decide, you know what? Am I going to tolerate this in my own personal life or am I going to just say, you know what? I don't need that. Maybe in your church as you're a pastor someday, oh man, you know, I hate to say something to that person or, you know, we can't allow that in this church, but I'm not going to say anything about it. this idea of toleration. It's so prevalent today. You know, and if you don't tolerate something, you don't love. That's the word out there today. You don't love. You need to just love people regardless of what they believe or what they're doing. And friends, there's, there's a balance there. there. Yes, we've got to love people. But if it's going to ruin the, take away the fire in our church, it's worth standing up against. And so we cannot tolerate worldliness in our own personal lives and in the church and ministry someday that we're involved in. You know, in, in 1 Timothy um, chapter 2, you have that, um, and this is to, to women, you have a key role in the power of a church. You know, just in, in the verse before, it says men have a key responsibility in raising holy hands before God and leading in spiritual things. And then in the next verse, it says, it's in 1 Timothy 2, it says women have a, an equally important role. They set the atmosphere of a church through their godliness. And, you know, I, we've all been into places where it's like, you know, especially men, it's hard to worship and think about God because the way someone is dressed. And so women, you know, sometime you're going to come along, maybe your, pastor, your husband's a pastor, and you have a key responsibility in helping maintain an atmosphere in that church of, of purity and of holiness that pleases God. An atmosphere in a church is so critical. I think the women have a very, very key role in develop, maintaining that atmosphere. Of course, it, the leadership of the men is absolutely important, but I, I can think of situations where the women in a church, really were driving that church the wrong path right into the world. And there wasn't someone to stand up and say, no, we are going to stop this. And so the third fire quencher I see is worldliness. What is it maybe in your own personal life? Right now, there might be something you're struggling with, a battle in your soul. Say, I am not going to give this up. Maybe the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you and said, there's something in your, in your life Something you do, maybe you can't do it while you're at school, but you plan Thanksgiving break or Christmas, you go home and listen to that or whatever it may be. And you know it has something to do with this world. And you know it's robbing your walk with God. Friends, are you willing to give that up so that you can maintain the fire of God in your soul? It starts right here in college. If in college you start saying, you know what, I can hang on to that. You start tolerating worldliness in your own personal life. Friends, it's going to show up in your ministry someday, too. 
So the third fire quencher I see is worldliness. And I wish we could develop it more. I wish we could look at these churches. There's so many different things about these churches, but we can't. We have to move on. The fourth fire quencher I see is found in the church of Sardis. And of course, these churches, many of them had phenomenal things about them. And I think that's one thing you learn from this passage is that God always, except in one case, he always commends them, first of all. And then he says, this is what you need to work on. And I think that's a good example for us when we're dealing with situations. But the fourth fire quencher I see is hypocrisy. Look at Sardis, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Friends, I see a fourth fire quencher here, hypocrisy. And friends, there's nothing more that can really ruin a, a church or a family than hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in your own personal life. As a parent, this becomes just extremely more important because your children, they live in the home with you, and they'll see through hypocrisy. And you can ruin a family because of hypocrisy. And you can ruin a church. A pastor's been living a, a, second, a double life, maybe. And, you know, hypocrisy is not living to the fullest. Not, it, it, I've heard people say, you know, well, I'm going to be a hypocrite if I don't live to the potential that I'm supposed to. No, that's not a hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying I'm someone and not being that person, really. And we all know what that's like. We can do it in our own personal lives. You know, when you go in, in, in the service, you're singing there and you're worshiping the Lord. Are you really worshiping the Lord in your heart? Or is it just merely on the outside? I'm putting this on. Friends, that's a big problem. If in your service for the Lord, you're doing it for that, so that people see you, but really deep down inside, you don't want to be serving the Lord. You just want to have a name, but you're dead. And so, friends, this is a big, big deal. There have been young people who have been chased away from the Lord's work because they saw hypocrisy maybe in a parent in a dad who was a pastor. And they come home and they rip the church and they rip the people and they rip the ministry and the young person says, why would I want to go into the Lord's work? And so hypocrisy is a big deal in a Christian's life right now in your own personal life. When you have your devotions each morning with the Lord, is it truly from your heart? Or is it just merely duty? I've got to have my devotions. Everyone's watching me. They're looking at me. Friends, you've got to check that. If you sense that really deep down inside your heart, that's not you. You have got to check that. Hypocrisy is a big deal. The church had a name that it was a lie, but they were dead. And, you know, to the one who knows all, their hearts were exposed. They may have fooled other people around them, other churches, but God knew their heart. He knew it was really down deep in their hearts. They had a form of godliness. Hypocrisy has an outward manifestation. But the heart isn't there. And friends, we all have that potential. You might, you know, think about it. Someday a pastor gets into the Lord's work and he's all excited about it. And then pretty soon things, the devil starts beating up on him. And he starts thinking, man, I wish I didn't have to get up there and preach these messages or prepare these sermons. But he gets in the pulpit and he acts like he does. Friends, it goes back to the heart. And we have got to check in our own personal lives, hypocrisy. What a big deal. You know, I'm so thankful for... My parents, um, most of you wouldn't know them, but my parents were just laymen. My dad was a layman. But I saw in them an unhypocritical faith. 
And they were the same people on Sunday that they were all through the week. My whole life, that's all I knew of them. And friends, that's why all eight of us children are going straight into the Lord's work. We want to go in the Lord's work. Because we saw in parents an unhypocritical faith. And you know what? There's nothing more that can discourage a young person from doing that, to going into the Lord's work, than they see hypocrisy. And friends, we have got to check that in our own personal lives and in the lives someday when we're um, leading a church to make sure that this church is not just going through the motions. This church is actually meeting with God. And on Sundays, we're worshiping God. We're not just going through motions. We've got to meet with God. So I see that as the fourth fire quencher. The final uh, fire quencher is found in the church at Laodicea, and I see it as lukewarmness. Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. Of course, a very familiar uh, passage in church. But he says here, verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. And of course, I think here he was making a very specific application to this church and to their setting um, they had warm uh, waters that would flow down into the city, and they were mineral waters, the way I understand it. And when they were hot, you could drink it, and it tasted great. But when that water got to the town, if it was, had cooled down some, it was just lukewarm, the minerals in that became disgusting. And that's why they would spew it out of their mouth. The water had been cooled down. It wasn't hot. And so that's the picture here, lukewarmness um, in our Christianity have we cooled off in our Christianity? Have we come to a place of half-hearted service? You used to have that first love for God, but now it's just half-hearted. It's just merely duty. There's an apathy that is all across Christianity. That Much of American Christianity is characterized by this apathy, this lukewarmness. It's burned in my heart. You know, when I was a student, I got to travel an ensemble a few years, and um, we'd go into all sorts of different kinds of churches, and you'd go into some churches, and you said, wow, God is really working here. These people are genuine. They're really walking with God, but then you'd go to others, and it looked like the people could care less. They couldn't care less if they were there. And friends, we have got to be young people. If we want God's fire in our lives, who say get rid of that lukewarm attitude, that apathy in our personal lives. An atheist professor once said, if I believed what you Christians believe, I would never rest day or night in my desire to tell men about it. This unsaved world, they understand. You know what? Christians have a message to tell about a real hell. If that's really real, real it ought to make, motivate us like nothing else. And so lukewarmness, I believe, has swept across so many churches in America, in Europe, maybe other places. I don't know. But friends, praise God. We can deal with these things. In all these passages, Christ says, this is how you deal with it. You repent. You get back to your first works. You get back to your first love. You deal with what is quenching the fire. And I don't know what the fire quencher is in your life, but I guarantee it, I've been there. I know what it's like, you know, just to do, go through the duties. i got to read my Bible today. i got to go out sowing. Friends, that is a warning sign. We have got to get back to our first love. And friends, the devil for centuries has been trying to ruin churches, ruin lives by quenching the fire. And he's done it through these different means as well as others. But I believe these five fire quenchers are a big deal. And they are prevalent all across this in Christianity. And friends, we have got to make sure that we keep these things in check. That we understand my first love is a big deal. My, you know, I, back to your first love, I heard about an evangelist who was 
that he and his wife had been married about six or seven years, had two kids, and he was gone a lot because of just the, the situation they had, and uh, he would come back after a week of meetings or whatever, and after a certain point, his wife put her arms around him and said, honey, do you still love us, or are you just doing this out of duty? And friends, may God never look at us and say, you know what, are you just doing this out of mere duty, or do you have a real love for me that motivates everything you do, motivates why you get up in the morning, motivates why you want to go to class, motivates why you want to practice, motivates why you want to go out sewing, motivates everything you do. And friends, my burden is not just individually, although that's a big part of it, but looking 20 years down the road, are some of these things going to come back and get you? You might be a pastor, you might be in the ministry, and lukewarmness starts setting apathy or hypocrisy in some form in your personal life. Friends, we have got to beware of these fire quenches. These are God-given uh, things for us today to look out for things in our own personal life that will destroy the work of the Holy Spirit in our own personal lives and in the churches and ministries someday we lead. May God bless uh, these truths and sink them deep into our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these examples that you've given us of these churches. and Lord, they're for our learning. And Lord, may we take heed from these warnings and these cautions. Lord, these things are so prevalent nowadays. Lord, permissiveness in doctrine, a loss of first love, just serving God a duty. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes. Lord, I thank you for even how you've worked in my life in preparing this message. Lord, showing me things that I need to shore up, that I need to change in my life so that the fire of God isn't quenched and hindered in my own personal life. With heads bowed, eyes closed, you say, you know, some of these things are my tendency right now, and it's surely going to come out someday in my ministry. And you say, you know what, God's working in my heart. There is something very specific that God showed me. It may have been your first love. It may have been a permissive attitude. Oh, they can believe that. It's not that big of a deal. Or maybe it had to do with something else, worldliness, an apathetic spirit. But God has shown you what, if I want God's fire to be burning on, in my life and through me in my ministry, I have got to do with these, a fire quencher. If that's you, would you just simply raise a hand? God showed you something. Amen. Now, Lord, I pray that you bless these students. And, Lord, I pray that you just, as, that they would take the opportunity they have to deal with that. Lord, some of them may be rather significant. They have to talk to someone, something hypocritical in their life that has been going on for a while. Lord, sin needs to be dealt with. So, Lord, if there's sin that needs to be dealt with, I pray that they would deal with it. But, Lord, show us exactly how you'd want us to deal with these. In Jesus' name. Pastor.